Hello, welcome to this UK column interview. I'm your host, Mark Anderson, American correspondent for UKcolumn.org. This is my first interview at this news outlet, uh, where I'm the interviewer, not the interviewee. And I'm glad to welcome Garland Favrito, co-founder of Voter GA. That's Voters Organized for Trusted Election Results in Georgia. And through that organization and through his individual work, Garland has done Yauman's work, you might say, groundbreaking research, very detailed research on exposing what really happened in the um, November 2020 presidential election here in the U.S. And it has implications for the other embattled states from that election, Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, et cetera. But it focuses mainly on Georgia and a lot on Fulton County, one of the most populated parts of Georgia. Garland, welcome to the show. Mark, great to be with you. Um, and we have uh, just uh, a lot of volunteers that also help on this research. So uh, I'm, I got to give them credit as well. I'm not a one man band. We have just an amazing army of volunteers behind us. So uh, I appreciate all of them. Uh, and thanks for having me on. I know that we could talk a lot about um, advances you've made in the courts in the last couple of years, very impressive advances. And you've been very tenacious about that. Um, when you experienced setbacks in the courts, you always uh, had your resilience um, uh, at hand and you always pushed back and you managed to recover lost ground. And we could get into a lot of that. And that's very impressive in its own right. Um, but you've taken a multifaceted approach. And some of your most recent information seems to be best for this deep dive, as they say, into this issue. Now, there's a press release I'm looking at that has a lot of links in it that led to special reports. And this is where it really gets into exposing, among other things, the duplicity of one Brad Raffensperger, the Republican Secretary of State in the state of Georgia. And of course, that official oversees ultimately the elections. And in this press release, um, this is going back to June, but it remains completely relevant. It says here, Voter GA announced that it is calling on Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to unplug, get that word, unplug the Dominion voting system found by expert witness Dr. Alex Halderman to have grossly inadequate security controls. Voter GA co-founder Garland Favrito, that's you, released a detailed statement to explain the problem and solutions. And one of the first, first things you said here is the recently unsealed Halderman security analysis explains that the Dominion voting system was not designed, engineered, or tested with the necessary security provisions and cannot be retrofitted to satisfactorily include them. Cannot be retrofitted. We at Voter GA have wholeheartedly promoted similar viewpoints for years. And I'll just add one more thing Secretary Raffensberger has misled legislators and county election officials by touting an unsigned MITRE report, M-I-T-R-E, that was funded by Dominion and produced without access to the voting system. It has been discredited by no less than 29 experts on the grounds that the entire report is based on a ridiculous false assumption that all necessary physical controls cannot be compromised. Um, Right there, right out of the starting gate, Garland, um, there's a lot of implications there. And these reports to which there are links, and we'll talk about that, th this is 
this is a real salvo over the bow of of one Mr. Raffensperger. Um, what's been your experience with this? So what's been the response, if any, from the Secretary of State? How has this been shaping up? Well, um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, story, Mark. So uh, we have been trying to pressure the legislature, and the legislature says, well, we need to patch the machines. Uh, for the Secretary of State to patch them. We said, that, well, that's not going to solve the problem because still in Georgia, uh, all elections are, are secretly counted. And, you, you know, the voters here don't know what the results really are. They just have to be told what they are. It's kind of, we call it Wizard of Oz voting. Uh, the man behind the curtain uh, tells you what the results are, but there's no way you ha- can verify it. So what, one of the things that we're saying is that in order to solve this problem, you need to make uh, the um, ballots public record. And then that way uh, we can use those to verify the electronic results and we can also use them to detect counterfeit. So that's uh, the first step uh, in the right direction. But, but the, the, the better solution is just simply to unplug the machines altogether. Then we don't have to worry about them uh, declaring the wrong winners as they did in uh, a DeKalb County uh, commission race just recently, just last year in 2022. Uh, the machines literally declared the wrong winners. Uh, and, and the only way that found, they ever found out was the candidate got zero votes in her own precinct where she and her husband uh, lived and her family lived and voted. So uh, once they did the hand count audit, that proved that the machines were incorrect uh, and that was the only race that was audited. They never audited another race because Secretary of State tried to shut down all auditing after the problem was found. Uh, so it's a sad state of affairs in Georgia. That's just uh, a little bit um, uh, but uh, about what's been going on. But also that uh, it's, it's, Secretary of State has a long history of um, uh, false information. And I um, actually was uh, testifying in John Eastman's trial and our other study that we did on him uh, with 42 points of false information in a 10-page letter, which we produced and referenced, that, we, that was the kind of the, the cornerstone of uh, John Eastman's trial last week. So Secretary's got a long uh, track record and history of uh, false information coming out of his office. What really hit me there, Garland, was the DeKalb example, more recent than 2020. It happened in 2022. And you have on the ground, tangible, irrefutable evidence that the machines miscounted and only by doing a manual count could you show that. Now, it would be an absolutely correct statement, right? I'm correct in saying that regardless of the scale of the election, whether it's local, statewide, or includes national candidates up to and including the president, that the principles are the same um, and that what happens on a local level in a small election can easily happen on a larger scale, correct? Absolutely, uh, uh, Mark. Uh, and particularly since no other auditing is done, uh, the, uh, the, the, you know, if the system had malware or if it has some type of uh, uh, an error, uh, there's another error that we know that's floating around in Dominion uh, systems. It's called the Williamson County, Tennessee era which was found in Williamson County, Tennessee, and uh, documented and uh, certified by the Secretary of State as an era, uh, as well as the Election Systems Commission and Dominion themselves. 
we believe that error exists in Georgia, and it uh, appears to um, have uh, uh, it, it, it appears to be implemented or is occurring across county boundaries in Georgia, and that also occurred in 2022 as well. I guess what is befuddling, and a lot of um, British and European viewers are going to see this and hear about this for the first time, and one of the reasons I'm having you on here is because they are only going to largely get the mainstream press version of this, and so they're going to just hear the stock you know, Trump is accused of being a conspirator rather than someone who's simply inquiring. And I'll and I'll state for the record here that this is not a pro-Trump or anti-Trump interview. We're looking strictly at the infrastructure of elections. This is not to afloat Trump's boat nor to sink his boat. And so we're coming at this from a completely unbiased, objective uh, viewpoint. Uh, the mainstream press will not do that. It's very anti-Trump. Uh, and that tends to obscure the technicalities that need to be brought out. The devil is indeed in the details, especially in this case. And so when I look at the Halderman security analysis, before we get more into the MITRE report, it's called the Dominion Ballot Marking Device Security Flaws, the Halderman ICX BMD Security Analysis. Real quick, what's ICX BMD? Well, um, Georgia conducts the elections on uh, what we call ballot marking devices, and that's a touchscreen. Uh, and this touchscreen then, uh, on the old system, the direct recording electronic, the, it would just poof and go away. This, this one prints out a, what we call a selection summary with the names of the candidates you selected. And then uh, that is in turn scanned into a scanner and where the votes are tabulated. And uh, the unfortunate part about that is the votes that the system tabulates are in a QR code, which the voters cannot verify here. So it's equally as unverifiable to the voter as the last system, which had no paper record whatsoever. So it, it, it's, we're, you know, we're not going in the right direction, uh, obviously. Um, and and, and to, to your point earlier about Trump, it's interesting, but... Uh, you're right. I mean, he's the only one who is talking about election integrity, and there's such a media bias against him. They, they hate him so badly that they're willing to uh, all create this lie that there were no problems, no errors uh, in uh, the elections in 2020 and in 2022. Uh, so they uh, are living this lie just because of their own hatred of, of Donald Trump. So no matter what you think of him, as you said, uh, pro or con, at least he is telling the, the truth about this one issue. And uh, fortunately, we're able to get uh, some of our, our information uh, more readily uh, uh, distributed to the public, but, you know, because he's standing up and at least pointing out that this, you know, there's an issue here. You talked about how before when it was strictly DRE, a touchscreen without any paper, it wasn't trustworthy. And then they bring a little paper into it. And I think if I'm understanding this right, they'll say, well, look, we've got a paper um, item or entity involved in the process. So that's kind of like having, quote, a paper ballot. So you should be satisfied with that. And I think that maybe is for show, kind of a marketing ploy. But through my own experiences, and when I vote myself in South Texas, I'm always questioning, questioning the clerks, 
sometimes taking photos when they don't want me to. But but what came up recently with the heart inner civic machines, as we know, there are three, the big three, as they call them, three main voting machine companies, Dominion, Heart Inner Civic, and ESNS. Well, Heart Inner Civic is used in Texas, and it spits out the piece of paper, like you said, that shows how I voted. And there's a QR code that you really don't have uh, trust in. You know, there's no real access to that. And so it's a very similar system. And then that is fed into a tabulator. And I asked the clerk, I said, when it spits out the piece of paper showing how I voted, why doesn't it spit out two and give me one to take home? And then you could put the other one in the tabulator. Everybody would get one to take home. And then if there's a problem, everybody comes to that voting precinct where they voted and puts their ballot on the table and we do a manual count. They wouldn't have it. They, they looked at me like I had three heads. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, 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 their issue, the argument against doing what you said, Mark, is that you could then sell your vote. And that's the excuse they used to, um, uh, to keep you from having uh, a record of your own vote. Uh, we have proposed of, uh, other things such as a uh, serialized ballots, which, you know, you need a serial number on those ballots for control purposes. And you could, there literally is one, at least one, um, uh, vendor today who can make a, a stub ballot. You can take this your own private stub home and look at it online and figure out uh, how you uh, uh, voted. You know, make sure the system recorded uh, your votes correctly. There's a, a variety of ways to do that, uh, but the um, elections officials, uh, in particular Secretary Ransberg, but not, not just him, many, many others, uh, fight this tooth and nail uh, they don't want um, uh, anybody to to be able to verify the machine results. Right now in Colorado and California, uh, I believe they have passed laws to uh, uh, prohibit um, hand counts of the votes because they want to cover up the election results. Obviously, they must be cheating, and they're going to continue to cheat, and they cannot allow uh, hand counts. Uh, because that would expose the, um, the the systems for what they really are, which are fraudulent. I've heard that refrain coming out of California and other states that we can't have hind counts. It's prohibitively expensive and complicated. But is it not true that these voting machines, especially in jurisdictions that buy a lot of them and they have to do updates and repairs and buy new models, isn't it true that this costs the taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars on a consistent basis. You're right, but and you're very conservative in your estimate. It's more like millions. Um, we did a cost estimate here in Georgia before they bought these ballot marking devices. And, uh, and uh, we uh, put our estimate, in addition to spending probably approximately $70 million more than they needed to, on the ballot marking device system versus a hand marked uh, paper ballot hand counted system. Uh, in addition to spending $70 million more than they needed to, um, it also imposed a lot of cost, ongoing costs on the counties every year for maintenance testes, testing, licensing, uh, logistics, storage, you know, uh, transportation. So uh, those costs were, uh, we estimated, were another, um, I think, million dollars a year 
uh, across all the counties. So 10 million, I think, I think we came up with $10 million over 10 years, in addition to this initial $70 million um, uh, excess expense that's not unnecessary. So the bottom line is this is this whole, these electronic voting systems for the most part are boondoggles and they're boondoggles in which um, the legislators uh, are able to spend taxpayer money with the vendors uh, and get perks back and thank yous from the vendors for uh, keeping them alive with our taxpayer money. That's truly amazing. I didn't realize it cost that much. In other words, over a 10-year period, a typical well-populated jurisdiction, um, assuming maybe they even keep the same machines that they buy at year one, <clears throat> let's say they spend 70 or 80 million, and then the other costs you mentioned, and they may even replace those machines over the, the course of a decade. So there's a minimum there of about um, $100 million, $70, 70 million, right? $80 million, $100 million over 10 years? Well, in, in Georgia, they spent $70 million more than they needed to to buy this particular system. They could have bought a cheaper system, a handmarked paper ballot, a hand-counted system. Uh, that is what they could have done and saved seventy million. But in addition to that, all the state, all the counties combined, pay another million dollars a year in excess costs for the uh, uh, ballot marking device system. Then, com- as compared to a hand marked paper ballot, hand counted system, uh, so another million dollars in in fees are being paid in, uh, by the counties. The, in total, uh, the Georgia counties are in combined pay an extra million dollars a year uh, to for uh, things like software licensing and testing and uh, storage and transportation of the of the equipment. Um, and you know, that, so it's um, you know maintenance on the equipment. It, that's just ongoing unnecessary expenses that you don't have when you have a hand-marked paper ballot, hand-counted uh, system. With hand-counting, and I've, I've, I've dealt with uh, Vicki Karp of Vote Rescue out of Texas and other researchers like yourself, hand-counting just involves printing, and you hire some people from the community covering all political persuasions. You have live cameras, and uh, each uh, group of people gets an allotment of ballots to count. And they're, again, they're hired right out of the community and paid a respectable amount. And they simply, one person um, announces the, uh, uh, the votes for each person. Another person writes them down sitting next to them. And then another person looks over their shoulder to make sure they're doing it right. This is one uh, model that I've been told about. And the ballot boxes are clear. And the, uh, the um, custody of the ballots, the chain of custody is never broken. and then you can imagine that besides paying the people to do the counting and hire those people, that the printing costs would be relatively minimal. Um, I would think it would be, you know, maybe just uh, a few thousand, maybe ten, twenty thousand dollars per election, uh, maybe per precinct. I don't know. It could be. It could be less. But certainly, the the numbers you're throwing around there that you've verified uh, strongly suggest that this. Um, this notion that uh, hand counting is so prohibitively prohibitively expensive is just another red herring that they're throwing out there to try and upset the idea that we could actually 
uh, verify that the machines were wrong, as happened in DeKalb, and you've already proven it in your state. So enough said, but I wanted to get that out there um, for both our American and uh, overseas uh, viewers. And uh, anyway, referring to the Halderman report, now Halderman's out of the University of Michigan, and he's a very well-respected uh, researcher, a computer science engineer, correct? Yeah, that's correct, Mark. And let me just add uh, two points, to because you made a, a lot of good points there. Um, but one of the key points you made is that the hand counts were, were publicly recorded, so you don't have to worry about any cheating. But to your other point on the cost, uh, here in Georgia, we have people lined up to volunteer at, at, at every county to do the hand counting. So they would not even have to pay people to hand count. Uh, volunteers would do the hand counting themselves under, uh, uh, you know, and you would have to only need the cameras there to record it. So it would be uh, very, very uh, inexpensive, as, as you, you said. So um, I just wanted to get that in there. And, and yeah, in regards to Dr. Halderman, um, yeah, he was an uh, expert uh, witness in the Curly B. Ravensburger case. He's a professor in um, uh, University of Michigan. And uh, what's interesting about him is that he was on the team uh, that, uh, as a graduate student from Princeton, uh, a team that hacked the old direct recording electronic uh, system uh, in front of the United States Congress and the Committee of House Administration back in 2006. So that's a little bit about his background. He hacked it in front of Congress successfully. That's very interesting. Now, from your summary about this, it says, and there's a little history here. I'll go through it quickly. 2002, Georgia bought Diebold paperless voting system. It became the first state to implement such a system statewide over many written objections, including yours. 20, 2009, Georgia Supreme Court denies voter GA claims, stating the voter bears responsibility for unequal voting systems. 2019, U.S. District Court found that the Diebold DRE voting system was unconstitutional and banned it for 2020 and the future. That's Curling versus Raffensperger, that court case you mentioned. And 2020, here we're getting more recent, U.S. District Court found the new QR-coded Dominion voting system violates two Georgia statutes and is unconstitutional, and that court banned it for 2020 and future, uh, future uh, elections. Let's let's go with that last one, which also relates to curling versus Raffensperger. I mean, the district court found the new QR-coded Dominion voting system violates no less than two of your state statutes and is unconstitutional and banned it. I mean, what happened from there? I mean, that's very definitive. Well, nothing happened, Mark, because the judge has did not grant relief. It was uh, October uh, 11th of 2020, three weeks before the election. There was no time to make any change. And uh, the judge uh, was not able to grant any relief for that. So think about this for a minute. The election in November of 2020 in the state of Georgia was conducted on a system that the United States District Court said was in violation of two Georgia laws. That's unbelievable. This is what is hitting home so hard here, is that 
you have a system declared basically illegitimate, unconstitutional, and in violation of two of your laws. And that's the system that elected Joe Biden president and claims that that Trump lost the state of Georgia. I mean, the the implications of that are just amazing. And it's um, even more amazing that Raffensperger and company and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you know, the cozy press there, the establishment press, they managed to keep their finger in the dike on this. I mean, um, if that was widely and understandably known across a, a, a reasonable swath of Georgians, uh, I would think the tremors would be too much for Raffensperger to withstand. How, how does he weather the storm on these kind of revelations? Um, he has two strategies. Uh, one is that he uh, publishes a press release with any type of lie that he would like to tell in it, or his office does. I, I doubt seriously if he does these. Um, so then he relies on the corrupt uh, local news media, specifically Georgia Public Broadcasting and to a, a large degree, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, to propagate his lies without questions. And uh, that is how he uh, continues to uh, get away with this. And then he can spoon feed the legislature, thirdly, as a third thing, most anything he wants, uh, he wants to, to tell them, and they are uh, forced to just go along with what he wants because they don't have the information they need. So one of the things that we have been doing over the last year or so is hand delivering our uh, research and our studies directly to every member of the Georgia General Assembly. Uh, we did that several times last year so that they could have the truth. They, they can uh, shield themselves and learn the truth when they hear that propaganda. They'll be less vulnerable to it. Um, that, that is just truly, truly amazing. Just that. And to, to think that we still hear this story. And Mr. Raffensperger wrote this book he's so proud of called Integrity Counts. Um, but election integrity is out the window when the counts are in secret, right? But anyway... He says he got this call from Trump. We've all heard this from him in the mainstream press. And Trump was trying to overturn the results of the election when, for reasons you just stated and many other reasons, Mr. Trump would have every reason to call him up, not to overturn the results, but to talk to him because he believed the results had already been overturned, that the election had already been overturned. Trump did not do the overturning. That had already been done. This is just that basic truth that the media will not admit to. And so uh, Trump couldn't be a co-conspirator along with Rudy Giuliani and these others that are being dragged through the indictment process. They're just inquisitors. They're just inquiring as to what happened, which is a First Amendment right and just a basic right. And so you'll see how things are completely inverted and, and turned around, uh, all on the basis uh, everything hinging on these vulnerable lies from Mr. Raffensperger. Now, moving on from there, I'm going to uh, go through some key parts of, of what I have here. Um, the, the security analysis by section, uh, you looked into QR codes. This is referring to Haldeman access cards, logic and accuracy testing, malware creation, spreading malware, audit log manipulation. That's a big one. Unsafe, extraneous applications, 
ICP scanner vulnerabilities. We won't get too technical, but Holderman's principal findings, one of them is, I show that the ICX suffers from critical vulnerabilities that can be exploited to subvert all of its security mechanisms. The word all is very important here. Um, and there's another one here. I demonstrate that these vulnerabilities provide multiple routes by which attackers can install malicious software on Georgia's BMDs, either with temporary physical access or remotely from election management systems or EMSs. And then the last one on this particular slide that I'm reading from, I can explain how such malware can alter voters' votes while subverting all of the procedural protections practiced by the state. I mean, that alone, that word all is in all of what I read. Comment on that a little bit. You know, I show that ICX suffers from critical vulnerabilities that can be exploited to subvert all security mechanisms and that uh, all of the procedural protections practiced by the state all can be subverted. Well, that's exactly right, Mark. Um, and and it's, it's just amazing. Uh, and, and remember, this is coming from a guy who literally hacked, uh, one of the team that hacked the system in front of the United States Congress. Uh, his professor, Dr. Dr. Hall, uh, Feldman, Felton, uh, conducted a mock election and he, he ran up, uh, he, he put in three votes for George Washington, printed the results, and it declared that uh, Benedict Arnold had won the election. So this is how easy these systems are rigged. So this is why Dr. Haldeman's re report there is so important. Um, but yes, um, I mean, you, you said it best. I don't know that I can add much. Of, you've really summed it up there. Uh, Dr. Holliman went on to say, I'm not sure if you're going to talk about this, so I'll go ahead and mention it now. But Dr. Holliman went on to say in his conclusion that uh, in the nutshell of it is that the system is broke. It was never designed or engineered uh, or tested for the appropriate level of security, and the security cannot be retrofitted into it. So therefore, uh, this system uh, is broke and we can't fix it. And, and his bottom line is there it, that, uh, you know, since he can compromise anything in the system, including he for, actually forged the access cards that you used to vote on, uh, and he forged uh, um, voter cards, technician cards, um, and every, you know, to give him complete access to the system. And that's how easy it is. But, but because of all these things, and he can subvert all these security mechanisms, uh, the system uh, is not fit for use in Georgia or any other state. Boy, this just uh, makes you just shake your head in bewilderment. Uh, I'll go on a little bit more about Mr. Haldeman's principal findings. Here we have attackers can alter the QR codes on printed ballots to modify voter selections, section seven, again, Attackers can alter the QR codes on printed ballots to modify voters' selections. That one right there is like a shot of strong whiskey there. And another one, attackers can forge or manipulate the smart cards, this is according to Mr. Halderman, that the ICX uses to authenticate technicians, poll workers, and voters, and voters, and then the last quote on this one, it is very likely that there are other equally critical flaws in the ICX that are yet to be discovered. 
but attackers would only have to find one. Let's go to that first one. Attackers can alter the QR codes on printed ballots to modify voter selections. In other words, good old fashioned vote flipping, correct? Uh, exactly, Mark. So that this is a very interesting and important point. So uh, backing up, you know, we talked about these touchscreens or ballot marking devices. The Dominion touchscreen is called the ICX. And I failed to mention that earlier. So and they produce these paper selection summary, which has a list of your selected candidates. But on it is the Q, a QR code. That's a quick response code. I'm assuming most everyone is familiar with these these days. And then that has your the votes in it, not what you saw, uh, the text. That's not uh, the system ignores the text and it looks at the QR code to determine how you voted. And uh, so you scan that in and that's how it accumulates. So what Dr. Holderman is saying here that electronically you can take the QR code from one ballot that you like the votes on and put it on another ballot that you don't like the votes on. So let's suppose uh, there was a, um, uh, a nefarious actor and one ballot comes in electronically. It's got these selections that, uh, let's say if it was Biden and Ossoff or something like that, they can copy that QR code. Next ballot that comes in is for Trump and Purdue. They can put the QR code on that ballot and change the votes on that ballot, uh, even though it was still saying, in this case, for example, Trump and Purdue. So you can, they, the attacker can change that electronically. And he also goes on to say that the attacker, if they wanted to, could also change the text on it. And if they change the text and the QR code, then it would completely subvert uh, the audit. So that's how... Uh, dangerous this system really is. The problem lies in the very existence and use of the QR code in the context of having an election, because a person can read a regular printout, I voted for so-and-so and so-and-so, but a QR code is just a pixelated square of data, and that can contain something totally different than what the regular listing written in the English language has, and then, as you say, it can actually transfer a undesirable vote and make it a desirable vote, de depending on what the powers that be or the powers that shouldn't be want to do, what, what results they want. And the, the thing that really strikes me, Garland, on this is that the mere fact that this could happen, even if it doesn't often happen, even if there isn't a lot, much if any, manipulation going on, the mere fact that the system is so vulnerable to it even if everybody was an angel involved in all aspects of these things we call elections, the mere fact that the house doesn't have any doors, just because you don't have a burglar break in or come in or enter, doesn't mean you should leave your house without doors. In other words, it shouldn't take a disaster to see that this is an unworkable system. One more thing I can add about QR codes is uh, there's no, there, and Dr. Haldeman says this in the report, there's no means to detect duplicates. Uh, so uh, there is no serial number or anything, uh, any kind of uh, in the QR code that can be used to detect duplicates. And he went on to prove that the system can simply uh, uh, detect or, or I'm sorry, read uh, and accept 
counterfeit ballots and or duplicated ballots, photocopied ballots, uh, any type of a copy is also uh, the, uh, accepted by the system because it can't detect uh, that uh, one QR code may be unique from all the others. There's no way to, to identify uniqueness in the QR code for the election. So that means that the entry of large amounts of mail-in ballots due to the COVIDocracy, that's my term for the bureaucracy and the tyranny that came along with the COVID rules. I call it the COVIDocracy. So the COVIDocracy comes along in 2020. There's this huge amount of mail-in ballots being utilized uh, way beyond the normal parameters of absentee ballots, which I'm familiar with because I'm a former Michigan election official from about 2003 in Pawpaw Township, Michigan. Um, so you have all these mail-in ballots of unknown origin uh, printed on different stock than the required stock coming in. Um, one doesn't know once the ballots go into these remote drop boxes that they put hither and yon throughout communities across the country, one doesn't know who even had the keys to those boxes to take out the ballots and deliver them to the proper people. That was never explained. Uh, you know, a postal box where you drop mail, only the postal service has a special key to open those, right? So not just anybody unknown can go take the mail out of a mail drop box. So you can imagine the multiple vulnerabilities here out in the field, out outdoors where these boxes are being uh, placed, you know, by the thousands across the country, ballots go in, are the ballots going in the same as the ballots coming out? And if so, what's the stock? You know, are they legitimate ballots in terms of their actual physical makeup? And the manipulation of the QR codes and the fact that these, that this system can't recognize a illegitimate mail-in ballot that may have been printed somewhere in some illicit operation and brought into the mix of all the ballots. I mean, that vulnerability alone, even if all these other vulnerabilities didn't exist, would be unacceptable. And there doesn't seem to be any backing down on mail-in ballots. And I can't help but point out the irony that they don't want hand-counted paper ballots because they think that's risky and expensive, but they don't mind having these huge amounts of mail-in ballots. Evidently, they're contemplating that not just for 2020, which happened, but for future elections, um, as if that's not expensive, as, the, as if that's not vulnerable. And, and so you have done, let's, let's just go there for a minute. You've also done through Voter GA, you and the volunteers, you've done some work um, looking at the actual physical ballots and trying to verify if they're legitimate, especially due to the deluge of mail-in ballots. A comment on that briefly. We had uh, outdoor drop boxes in 2020, and they tried to say that, oh, we can put surveillance video on them. Well, you know, that didn't work because when we took when we actually requested the surveillance video, we found out that it had been destroyed for what we estimate as 181,507 ballots. Uh, so that is, um, that, that's, uh, this whole concept of outdoor drop boxes is, uh, is absolutely absurd. You can't secure them. Um, so fortunately, uh, to, I have to give the legislature credit on this one. They did ban uh, those um, um, 
outdoor drop boxes. But the mail-in ballots uh, do have the same problem that we talked about earlier for the in-person. They're not serialized, and, and we believe that they need to be serialized and on security-grade paper that can't be duplicated. So you can't go out and put, uh, make up, copy ballots and insert them into the results. A simply, simple solution is to use security-grade paper uh, and, and have a serial number on those. On those. So uh, that's what we're advocating to solve that problem, but that has not been done yet. The legislature does have a bill to do that, but they haven't enacted it yet. Yeah, I stand corrected on the QR codes with those other ballots, but to not have serial numbers, to not have them serialized, something like that seems so fundamental. I mean, why wouldn't that just be a given that they'd be serialized? Um, now you're getting into the, the real uh, question there, Mark. It appears to me that the elections officials, and this includes uh, many in the legislature, were elected on these systems, and they don't want them to secure, uh, to be secure. Maybe they'll find out that their election wasn't valid, or they will, uh, if they have honest election, they'll get booted out of office. Uh, I don't know, but there is uh, a lot of resistance and in implementing normal security procedures that exist in any uh, corporation in America for any system, as you've uh, as you've kind of alluded to here. Yeah, that that is a workable theory that um, some people are in the know and they get magically reelected because it's a foregone conclusion because it's a rigged system. Um, leaving that aside for a minute, um, I do want to mention while we're at it that we're talking about vulnerabilities and um, things like not doing things like serialization that should be automatic and a given and everything we've mentioned so far. And, and some people might relegate this to the uh, realm of theory, but we talked about the DeKalb example where through a hand count, you were able to prove that the machines miscounted that local election. So we have something concrete there. We're not just in the realm of theory. Well, there's these vulnerabilities and maybe an election might be stolen in the future or, over, or overturned, uh, the legitimate results overturned and false ones put in. But here's the thing. With the 2020 election, the presidential election, they said that Joe Biden won by, correct me if I'm wrong, just shy of 11,000 votes, or was it a little over 11,000? That little over 11,779. 11, Being as conservative as you can possibly be, um, citing all the best research, the data, what would you say the real presidential election result um, evidently and probably was or absolutely was, whatever words you want to use, in Georgia? Did Donald Trump win Georgia, apparently? And if so, how much? By how much? Let me give you an example. And uh, uh, this will probably um, kind of sum it up for you. In uh, Georgia, on the morning after the election, that was uh, Wednesday morning, November 4th, Brad Raffensperger went on television. And at that time, um, Donald Trump had a 103,750 vote lead. Brad Ravensburger stated that uh, we are almost uh, uh, done counting. 4.7 million voters voted. We know that. And 
we don't guess and that we've got uh, 2% left to count, which is about 94,000 votes. And the counting of those votes will not change the outcome of the election and will be done today. That is what he told NBC. We have the video uh, um, and uh, presented that at Moment of Truth uh, last year. And however, what actually happened after that was he didn't, he didn't have the counting stop on Wednesday. Uh, somehow, another 200,000-plus ballots were found and inserted into the system. He continued the counting for st- several days more, and he ended up certifying 4.998 million votes, not 4.7 million. And those votes changed not only the outcome of the presidential race, but they also changed the outcome of the United States Senate race. What's your take on that, that course of events? Basically, I think the election results were correct, as he stated on November 4th. Uh, and, uh, you know, the same thing happened in Georgia that happened uh, elsewhere in other battleground states. Suddenly, all these mysterious votes come in, Donald Trump has won the election, and all of a sudden these uh, the election counts and results stop and they add more votes, and then suddenly Donald Trump has lost to Joe Biden. Um, I mean, you have, to, uh, you have to be pretty stupid to think that that happened in five states, exactly the same scenario. Uh, it's just, um, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's not believable. It's not credible. Um, so it's pretty clear that uh, this election was overturned after it was conducted, uh, but not by Donald Trump. It's by the insertion of these what I call phantom ballots into the results. Right. So therefore, that would make, again, no bias for or against Trump and company, the other uh, defendants, that would make them inquirers, people looking into this, not people that did the overturning, but people who are looking into, into an election that they felt was overturned by others, which uh, has implications for the J6 thing and on and on and on. Dominion's documentation claims that the QR codes are encrypted, and at least as recently as January of 21, Secretary of State Chief Operating Officer Gabriel Sterling has repeated this claim to the media as a security feature of Georgia's voting system. But in actuality, as I testified, that's Haldeman, last year, no part of the QR codes uh, is encrypted. In actuality, as I, Haldeman, testified last year, no part of the QR codes is encrypted. While voters have no practical way to read or verify the votes encoded in the QR codes, they can be decoded by attackers and can be replaced or manipulated to steal voters' votes. And this, again, uh, Haldeman is very credible. uh, And what he's saying obviously comes from the, the, uh, is a result of a lot of research. Um, uh, I could add many Others, the codes do not contain a serial number or, or other unique identifier. So for a given ballot design, all QR codes that contain identical votes are indistinguishable. That 
kind of plays into what we're what we've been talking about. An attacker also could choose to change only the QR code or change both the QR code and the human readable text. Well, uh, his point is that you could do either. You could you could change just the code or you could change the code and the text uh, to defeat the audit. I think that's his 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 point there. Um, and um, that was one of the things that you had just alluded to. Oh, is the encryption. So the, the, the QR code, and by the way, he points out that Gabe Sterling lied. Uh, he, he had been, uh, we had been saying that the QR code was not encrypted. He said it was. The, uh, Dr. Haldeman proved that it was, it is not encrypted, but it is encoded. So the voters in Georgia cannot uh, read what's in the QR code, even if they had a QR code reader. But it is not encrypted, so any hacker can hack it, but the voter can never read it. Uh, that is the worst of both worlds. The only person shut out of reading the QR code is the voter himself. So you can see where voters, uh, how voters stand up in, in this overall system. The voter, again, as many critics of elections have said, the voter is casting a vote in public, but the vote is counted secretly always. And that secret vote counting system is mercilessly protected by what appears to be, and this is my opinion, a vote counting syndicate involving Dominion, ES&S, and Heart InterCivic mainly. If I'm wrong, may lightning strike me. The media seems to be in cahoots on this in terms of reporting um, the the results. Now, without looking it up directly, um, although we can um, uh, make this available for viewers, I believe you have a diagram in some of your research that shows um, how the media reports this. Um, yes, the process sequence, the county elections management server, and then um, USB drives are, are involved, uh, and the line goes to the county web server, and then that leads to results, and one chain of results goes to the Georgia Secretary of State office, and the other chain of results goes to the Edison Media Line feed. And then there's SOE software, I, I think it's called SCYTL or SCYTL, S-C-Y-T-L. Um, and then I wrote, I wrote a note to myself here, what's the reliability of such media reports if they're um, at the end of the chain of that system? Uh, this is pretty fascinating uh, because this suggests uh, media ignorance or complicity. I won't go too far either way, but if you would comment on that just briefly, uh, it says scan, adjudicate, verify, publish. Well, th uh, that is the basic flow of the Dominion system, how it produces the results. But what you have hit on here is really fascinating. And I think the, um, the listeners are not going to believe this one, but it's true. The counties, when they report the results up, they don't go to the Secretary of State's office. They go to this third party, uh, SOE software, Clarity Elections, uh, out of Tampa, Florida, and they are owned by CIDL. And the, the they publish the results. They put up pages that look like the Secretary of State's website, but they're not. 
And uh, that's that's how the results are published. And then they themselves send them to the Secretary of State's office. So the Secretary of State get the election results from his own state, third hand from this software organization. It's absolutely bizarre, but it's being done in Georgia and it's being done in quite a few other states uh, around the country. Uh, it's just crazy that the Secretary of State would not get his own their own results from the counties that produced them. Therefore, the media is on the receiving end of the same thing, correct? Yes, they are exactly, Mark. They're on the, the, the receiving end of the same thing. Uh, what do we know about uh, SCYT? How do you pronounce that again? I'm sorry. It's pronounced Seidel. Uh, we know that they're a Spanish-owned firm. They, uh, the subsidiary SOE software is in Tampa, Florida. They produce a system called Clarity Elections, and that system is used by uh, many uh, states to publish election results from the counties. Uh, so they then um, feed those results to the Secretary of State's office. So the Secretary of State can total their own elections. Who decided to hire or include Seidel? Uh, that decision was made by uh, then Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who is now the governor of the state of Georgia. And it was uh, roughly around the 2012 time frame. You have here, again, in your historic press conference of national significance, uh, which was back, um, I believe, in March of 2022. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, but the of course these these uh, this report and these results have very long term implications. So there's no way to say they're outdated. But how Georgia 2020 election results were electronically manipulated? You go into uh, uh, excruciating detail here. The summary list: Fulton County, that's that populated county there in and around Atlanta, a 15 point election man manipulation evidence. Now, this, this is where it, it's like an avalanche. 17,724 final certified Fulton votes, Fulton votes have no ballot images. All 374,128 in-person ballot images, Fulton County, for the original count are missing. All 374,000 plus are missing. 132,284 mail-in ballot images cannot be authenticated due to missing .sha files, I'll just do one more for now, 4,000 plus tabulator images have impossible duplicate timestamps. So let's go with number two. All 374,128 in person, that is voting in person, ballot images for the original count, original is underlined, are missing. So in that case, when uh, we got the ballot images from the uh, discovery in our lawsuit. And then we actually also surveyed the other states once ballot images became public record. Now, when I say ballot image, I'm talking about the electronic ballot image that is scanned to produce the cast vote record, which is tabulated to produce the results. If you don't have a ballot image, you can't have a vote. Now, one of the things that's wrong is that Fulton County has 17,724 votes for which they have no ballot image. That is a, uh, 
a question and a problem there on itself. So uh, that's one of the problems that they had. But as you, but what we found out there in Fulton County, 374,000 of the original ballot images for the 2020 election were destroyed in violation of federal and state law, which has a two-year retention period on all election records. Now, it wasn't just Fulton County. It was, uh, we found that um, 1.7 million original ballot images were destroyed across about 70 counties uh, for the 2020 election, all in violation of both federal and state uh, election record retention law. And then in addition to that, uh, just to throw on one more thing, Fulton County uh, had 315,000 of their poll tapes, which come out of the machines. Uh, they are were not signed as required by the poll managers. Um, so that was just for early voting. I think another 12,024 were not signed for election day voting. So those, by law, should have been discounted and not, not counted. Uh, that's how... Uh, screwed up and corrupt the uh, uh, election processes are, not just in Fulton County, but in other states as well, uh, other counties as well. Uh, I could add a couple more. Um, All 16,034 mail-in image signature files were added days after scanning. Uh, I mean, anyone you want to pick out, just throw the dart, anyone you want to hit here, um, 10 ballots were impossibly adjudicated in one minute by one user. You know, this came up, this came up a lot in this report. Uh, it takes usually um, a, a, a minute or more to adjudicate a single ballot, correct? So how can one adjudicate, which I think means verify, 10 ballots in, in one minute? Yeah, well, I testified to that in the Eastman trial uh, this past week. Um, and, and it's just one example. I think you've clearly explained it, but it's just one example of why we know, knew that the electronic ballot images were altered uh, prior to the certification of the 2020 uh, election results. We, we looked at the metadata of the ballot images and we made these, these conclusions that you're explaining uh, here. What does adjudicate mean, and how is that done, just for clarification? Well, adjudication is a process in which there supposedly is some extraneous marks uh, that are on the ballots. The the system cannot read, uh, understand the mark sense bubble, uh, and uh, therefore um, you you can't uh, actually make a vote out of it. So uh, it throws it into a, a holding area, another electronic folder for, called adjudication, and then a three-person team, which is supposed to be nonpartisan, looks at it to determine the actual uh, voter intent. Uh, that is a process that is unique to the Dominion voting system. Yeah, that adds just more scandal to this uh, overall analysis that we're doing. Uh, a little more mm-hmm. technicalities, and we'll begin to summarize uh, the images in 288 batches have backfilled timestamps out of scanning chronological order. Uh, first of all, what's a batch and what is a backfilled timestamp 
out of chronological order. This is that devil in the details kind of stuff. I just want to touch on some of this. Well, this is probably getting a little too complicated for the for the listeners, but basically, um, as the images are scanned, they have um, a, a a image name that increments like uh, TIFF file one, TIFF file two, uh, TIFF being the image format of the Dominion system, um, and then but you'll see that as they go up TIFF file three, four, five, suddenly the uh, timestamp. Uh, doesn't increment in the same um, manner, uh, in the same sequence, which tells you there was some inserts made uh, uh, inappropriately into the system. So uh, those are that's kind of an example of all the things that we looked at to try to, and we found a dozen different examples to prove that the voting system uh, images were electronically altered before the, they, the results were certified. And by the way, what we're talking about here, Mark, is up on the VoterGA.org studies tab. Uh, we publish everything so that people can see and comment uh, themselves on it. Correct me if I'm saying this wrong. The MITRE report, M-I-T-R-E, um, this is something that was put out by Raffensperger and company. And as I mentioned earlier, it was mainly, if not completely funded, excuse me, by Dominion itself. And there's a rebuttal to that report. And you have a list here of 29 cybersecurity experts and computer science academics who wrote to the MITRE CEO seeking a retraction of what they called a ridiculous report. And some of these names, you're talking um, Oliver Pereira, professor of UCL Lovain, Ronald R. Rivas, Institute Professor, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That's Rivest, R-I-B-E-S-T. Uh, you're, we're looking at Michael Spector, PhD, security researcher, um, Michael J. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, professor of computer science out of Yale. I know you've got one from the um, uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, a retired professor, David Jefferson, a computer scientist, and um, many, many others. Matthew D. Green, associate professor of computer science out of Johns Hopkins. Uh, these are among the 29 experts saying um, the MITRE expert report, uh, the MITRE report just carries no weight and it's ridiculous. Uh, describe a little bit. Uh, for the viewers, what the MITRE report tried to say. We, we know it was funded by Dominion. We know there's uh, lots of expert opinion rebutting it. What did they try to say through the MITRE report? Secretary of State tried to claim that the MITRE report rebutted um, Dr. Haldeman's uh, work. And as oh. you've explained, yeah, that, that's the whole thing. Uh, that, and that's how ridiculous it is. So here's the Secretary of State touting a report that was unsigned by anyone. No one in the world put their signature on it. And that was also funded by Dominion, as you said, and it was created with, with no access to the system. Uh, it was just uh, uh, a, a, a report with no, it wasn't even a study. So uh, it, the whole thing was kind of absurd. And uh, the, um, those 29 cybersecurity experts, or not just cyber, but they're also academics, in information technology and uh, uh, you know related disciplines, they wrote to the president of MITRE saying that that report 
uh, needs to be retracted because it is, quote, dangerous, unquote, and, quote, ridiculous, unquote. So I thought they pretty much uh, said it all for us. Is uh, in June of this year, June 22nd to be exact, you uh, wrote a letter, Dear Georgia Legislators, I'm writing a response to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's public letter dated June 20th that was sent to you on Tuesday at that time. The letter from the Secretary of State entitled Setting the Election Integrity Record Straight actually does the opposite. You attached a voter GA fact check explaining why Secretary of State Raffensperger letter to you contained 15 false or misleading statements. If you would like more supporting detail for our fact check, please contact me. And you mentioned in this the Halderman security analysis and so on and so forth, and um, how the MITRE report was discredited by the 29 experts. And I'll just give a couple examples and then we'll wind up. Um, you have a side-by-side here thing, and I reported on this um, for the uh, September 18th UK column report, my standard weekly Monday report. I, I touched on this to give some advance notice on what we're recording now. And I'll just give a couple. These are kind of fun in their own way. Uh, one of them from a, a statement by Brad Raffensperger, the, the Secretary of State of, of Georgia. He says, the critics of Georgia's election security are from one of only two groups, election-denying conspiracists, uh, conspiracy theorists or litigants. And voter GA's response to that statement Critics include cybersecurity experts and science professors that we just listed throughout the country. And these demeaning terms used by the author, Raffensperger, are intentionally designed to deceive the reader. Oh, there's, there's others. I like this one. We have tests and audits to verify results. At your rebuttal to Raffensperger, the tests cannot verify results because the tests are run before the results are produced. Now, let, let's, let's get into that because I cannot help but think that how low Raffensperger must view critics and, and how, how stupid he must think people are to where they do these pre-election tests, which I've seen myself, and act like that proves that the election results that come later are, uh, you know, verifiably accurate. I mean... That just assumes the very worst about uh, people that are concerned about elections, uh, as if they can't figure that out. Uh, I'll read a couple more of these as we wind up, but I, I can't help but get your comment on that one. Well, and this gets to one of the things that uh, that um, Dr. Haldeman said in his report, which is the same thing we've been saying for 15 years. Uh, logic and actually testing doesn't prove the system counts right on election day because it can be programmed to count differently on a different day, or it can be programmed to count differently after a certain number of ballots are accepted. And uh, there's only one ballot required uh, to be put into each machine uh, to test it in, in, in Georgia uh, procedures, Georgia rules. So uh, that, that basically is, it kind of defeats the whole concept. I was so glad that he included that in his report. Uh, to explain that, uh, and that completely blows out of the water the, the claim that logic and accuracy testing uh, it, it will ensure that the results are correct. So many of these back and forth ones I could do, and they're all significant. Uh, 
that system, Raffensperger is saying, proven and tested, is the system we have in place today for Georgia elections. Your rebuttal, the system has been tested but has not been proven to always count accurately, which is kind of what you you were alluding to there. Um, Let me see. Uh, The MITRE report points out that the vulnerabilities described by Haldeman they uh, uh, as operationally infeasible. I think the real word is unfeasible. I'm not sure, but he's saying the the MITRE report uh, shows that Haldeman's claims are operationally infeasible. And then, of course, you put the MITRE report was funded by Dominion, as we've said, produced without access to a voting system and assumes perfect procedural defenses, again, called ridiculous by these 29 experts, some of whom we name. And Raffensperger, here's the last one. Is it possible for a team of bad actors to break into Georgia's 2,700 voting precincts, install malware? It's more likely that I could win the lottery without buying a ticket. This is perhaps his richest claim. And your response, Halderman explains, no break-in is needed when the state system can currently distribute election definition malware to all counties. That malware can then spread to each scanner and touchscreen without detection. That's a biggie. Uh, okay, well, that, that is a, a biggie. Um, it is what we call the single point of attack. In Georgia, all counties and all voting machines are programmed from the Secretary of State's office. They deliver the election definition files to the counties, and then the counties uh, turn around and program their machines with it. If that system has been compromised at the Secretary of State's office, the counties have no way to detect it. Uh, and they simply uh, will continue to program their machines with the malware on them. And we know that the system was, in fact, uh, breached, the Secretary of State system, uh, the central system, in uh, 2017 uh, and 2016, because we uh, that was when a Bastille team researcher uh, identified that the system was vulnerable and wide open for anyone in the world to put a malware on it and have it downloaded undetectable to the counties. He reported that to the executive director of the uh, Center for Election System at the time, which reported to uh, the Secretary of State's office and was operating out of Kennesaw State. They never closed the breach. Um, it was remained open for another six months, uh, that vulnerability. Uh, and and until uh, finally the Kansas State themselves shut it down. Secretary of State never did shut it down. And then we found out and through further research that that vulnerability has existed all the way back uh, to when the system was first implemented in 2003. Uh, one can be attacked without, without knowing one is being attacked. The termites are under the floorboards and you have no way of knowing it until it's too late. Uh, that sums it up uh, pretty well. In fact, you have no way of knowing it at all, even late, uh, because uh, the elections are still counted in secret here in Georgia. The documentation behind this will be readily available um, uh, for this. It's being made available for this interview on ukcolumn.org. Your first interview on here and my first time conducting an interview as an interviewer, not interviewee. It's been a pleasure. We could go further, but I think that suffices uh, along with the documentation. And it shows, as if I may make a final comment here, this doesn't just show that in theory elections 
are uh, vulnerable to being stolen and that security protocols are, are just astronomically inadequate. Uh, basically, in, some, in a lot of ways, they don't exist at all. But not just in the realm of theory, but in the realm of fact, in, in, in terms of what you determine from the 2020 election, the presidential one, and the subsequent 2022 DeKalb election, where the uh, paper hand counting that everybody says is uh, you know objectionable and just shouldn't be done, and we're being told that's too expensive and, and too cumbersome, the paper hand counting actually cleared it up and proved that the machines in real time in a real election actually miscounted that DeKalb example. So we're not just in the theory, uh, the realm of theory, we're in the realm of fact. Uh, you explain the tremendous gaps and anomalies and the numbers regarding the presidential election uh, in 2020. So by all appearances, again, this is not a pro-Trump or anti-Trump thing, by all appearances, Donald Trump won Georgia. And that makes you wonder uh, exactly what really happened in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and so on. And so this goes a long way in establishing a foundation, a cornerstone of facts and truth to where we can go further through your research and, and that of others to a degree to reestablish real elections in this country that don't appear to actually exist. Uh, your final thoughts, Garland. Mark, I think you summed it up well. I, I can't add anything to that. I just want to let you know that everything we talked about today is up on VoterGA.org. Uh, so uh, feel free to take a look at it. Look on the Studies tab, and, and the Legal tab has our briefs. Uh, we have um, uh, all sorts of information uh, up there that, that goes over everything that we've talked about. Our press conference are on the Events tabs. Uh, also, also, we didn't mention, though, that we are a, a nonpartisan nonprofit. All this work that we've talked about today has been put together by volunteers. Uh, and, you know, we rely on donations, uh, mostly from patriots around the country, small donations that um, uh, that come in to help sustain us. So uh, if, if you liked what you've heard today, we uh, would appreciate that it help us out, uh, you know, if you're in uh, if you're in America, then you know there's, your donations are tax deductible. In the UK it might be a different story, but uh, again, we thank you, Mark, for having us. We are so grateful uh, for for doing this, and and uh, we hope that uh, the listeners will will appreciate this information and and keep us afloat. Uh, thank you, Garland Favrito of VoterGA.org, and this has been a UK column interview. We'll see you next time.